With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now. Now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. All right, this is Thad. Welcome back to another episode of Shades of Blue Soccer Show. Uh, who do I have on, Ben or Mike? You got Ben. All right. Well, it looks like a, it looks like Mike hasn't joined us yet. Um, want to just go ahead and <laughs> want to go ahead and kick off with a recap of the sporting game. Oh, I'd rather not relive this game, but I guess I will anyway. The <laughs> um, so sporting KC faces off with DC United, they come to the game. Sporting has a two-point um, advantage over DC in the conference standings, but DC has a game in hand, so um, very big match for both these teams. Sporting comes out and really does very well the first 15, 20 minutes or so, gathering a lot of opportunities on goal, really controlling possession, and um, really making the game to be in DC United defensive half. Well, um, we get to about the 25th minute, and DC United scores their first goal. Really nice shot from Fabian Spindola. It's debatable whether Colin should have uh, been able to defend that and would have been able to keep the shot from getting off, but whatever. DC United's up one nothing. Well, a couple minutes later, DC United beats the offside trap. Aurelian and Colin's hands go up in the air in protest, but it is all for naught. 
as uh, <laughs> um, as Ethan and I get another goal, and then a couple minutes later they get their third goal. And from that point, Ethan and I really just took control of this match, was able to really pin Sporting back and not allow them to play that high-pressure system that they love. The team, I think, looked soft in the back line. It looked really, really bad, especially in the first half. So we have a 3-0 defeat. DC United, they now lead the Eastern Conference and have a game in hand against Sporting Kansas City. And that loss dropped us to like fourth even in the supporter shield standing, didn't it? Um, I believe so. I And um, that Seattle win over Portland did not do us any favors this weekend either. Let me uh, double check. Yeah, I believe we're right now in fourth place in the um, supporter shield. And the yeah, fourth place, tied with FC Dallas, equal on both uh, points and games. Houston United has got a point and a game advantage on us. Um, and Seattle's got three points and a, and a game in hand. So uh, th- this game really did not do any favors for sporting. So you mentioned that the uh, back line looked exhausted or tired or however you phrased it. But um, do you, I mean, is this, do you think this is a result of all the travel? Do you think this is a result of, you know, the bulk of these guys haven't played as many games as they have because we don't have a ton of healthy backups? Where do you think this went wrong? Uh, and Peter Vermees said it in the press conference. He said that DC United really capitalized on sporting's mistakes and the, the sporting defense will make mistakes from time to time, and teams won't capitalize on them as much as DC United did. But there were definitely some more mistakes. The offside traps definitely weren't working. Two of the goals, um, both uh, Kishin and um, whoever scored the second goal, I can't remember right off the top of my head, both of those goals were off of failed offside traps. Um, and so there's a couple of mistakes right there. Um, a couple of mistakes that allowed DC United to get in on Kevin where he made a couple of saves. Um, for giving up three goals, I, I thought that Kenton played rather well. He got a hand on the second goal. It just happened to, it, it was just a play to the goal. It's powerful. Um, but Kenton was left out to dry by the back line. Um, it, it just looked like, um, Julia was making a lot of mistakes. Colin was making a lot of mistakes. Um, Beezer's position wasn't as sharp as he usually is. So nobody did look that bad to me, um, which kind of surprised me. That That's the big concern I had going into this game was how Sinovic was going to uh, deal with Nicky Leon. Um, but it, I'm not sure if it's because of all the travel they did play um, they all, all four of them did play against uh, for Alice, the league, except for Alice. So three out of the, or four out of the five of the Dali, and then played five days later. So I, I, I it would seem logical to think that exhaustion had something to play with it, but I, it, it just seemed like it was fundamental mistake as well. The, uh, I talked to uh, Olam after pretty much everybody cleared out, and he chatted for a while, but he he blamed it all on communication and not being in sync from front to back, essentially. Uh, I mean, he wasn't calling out somebody in the front as much as just saying that sporting defense starts at the front, redirecting traffic, pushing it to the side, 
you know, uh, interrupting things here and there, and players, again, he wasn't calling out anybody specifically, but players weren't taking the opportunity to uh, stop the play when they had the chance. So they weren't taking that foul. They weren't making the the harder tackle. They weren't making the good choice. Um, All those factors that, that could have stopped the play before you had somebody running hard at Colin uh, or Beasler or whoever, or right down the middle at Kempen. So it, it seemed, he seemed to feel it was not just the back line or not just the mid, uh, but it was kind of a front-to-back problem. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of find that funny that the first time Sporting has a repeated lineup all year is the time when they have uh, communication issues. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I can definitely see where he's coming from. Um yeah, yeah, fun to back. Thinking back on it now, yeah, that makes sense. The back line just stood out to me when I was watching. I haven't gotten to rewatch it yet, but it was just not a good performance. And I, I'm wondering how the game would have turned out if it sort of had been able to put a goal into the net in those first 20 minutes. Because, and we've seen that happen a lot this year, where they really come out strong and. Uh, fail to score a goal, and then uh, the pressure starts to wear off a bit just because he can't keep up that insane amount of pressure for 90 minutes. Um, that just wear off about 25, 30 minutes in, and then the other team starts to gain a little momentum. And I'm wondering how the case of the game would have gone had they been able to score in that first 20 minutes or so. Well, obviously, early goals change games big time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first year at Sporting Park, I think they had a lot of success at going out, putting lots of shots on goal early, and scoring a fair amount of early goals in that first 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I mean, I have to go back and look at the stats, but I seem to seem to think that, that, was, that was, they had a lot of success at that. And even if they didn't get it the first 15, they, they were ones that would score first. That would force the visitors out of their shell to to play more. Or even if they didn't come out of their shell, it allowed Sporting to have a comfortable lead and play with the ball. The last couple of years, we haven't seemed to get that early goal, and that gives the visitors the confidence to stay back in their shell, uh, counter. You know, if they get the early goal, that puts Sporting under the gun, under the pressure to, you know, even and try to pull ahead. And it seems like they they've given up too many of those early goals at this point. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Because um, yeah, because it's gotten to the point where teams are coming in and they're, and they're playing back and just kind of trying to absorb that attack uh, the first 20 minutes or so, and then they're able to spring a counter. Um, they're able to um, kind of co- they're able to close down the middle and then attack on the wings once there's an opening once they catch the Nova Canellas too far up. Um, yeah, and, and it's an interesting strategy, and that that seems to have worked more the past couple of years. It, the past couple of years, Sporting Casey's home record really has not been uh, anything to write home about. Um, and so that's it, just a bad pun. The home record hasn't been anything to write home about. Uh, it, it, was, it wasn't <laughs> a it, it wasn't a you made a one. Um, <laughs> I will gladly accept it though. I love puns, but um, this game was just kind of the tip uh, or the cherry on top of the, the poor, poor performances at home. 
Um, losing three nothing at home is it's just not good. I, I can't really think of any other way to put it. No, um, you've you've been around Sporting Park now for the last couple of years and interviewing and uh, seeing how the teams responded. Was this probably the most um, reserved, quiet, um, um, just clammed up that you've ever seen Beasler after a game? Oh yeah, um, yeah. You and I were in the um, locker room, and he came out. He just wasn't talking to, wasn't talking to anybody. He wasn't looking at anybody, and that just kind of out of the out of the norm. He's 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 and. Uh, I forget, someone talked to him afterwards, and I can't remember who it was. But basically, he put a lot of the blame on himself, put a lot of blame on him and the defense. And I think he really, really felt like his play was uh, a big fault in that game. Yeah, Yeah, it, it it was just very out of character for him. He kept... You know, people try to say, asking questions, and it was very, I won't discuss tactics. I won't discuss tactics. Kind of, that was that was his answer at that point, which is, like I said, way out of the norm for him. I mean, yeah. you know, it's the captain's job to take the the unpleasant interviews after losses. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he was putting the blame on himself um, for... The, for that performance, especially um, considering just considering the way that uh, they they kind of failed towards the back line, and there are problems all, all over the park. Um, but it, it, the back line just seems very out of character, and not only is he the captain, he's also the anchor of that back line. So that responsibility uh, falls on him too when they're able to score goals themselves. Uh, you mentioned Kimpin earlier. He got a hand on one. I I I I think he got actually a touch on two of them, but I could be wrong. Um, he wasn't necessarily in a bad spot, and he was. I mean, he wasn't playing the position wrong. He wasn't out of position or even bad response time. He just got left hung out to dry with basically people coming in point blank on him. Was that a fair assessment? Oh, definitely. Um, he came out really well on those uh, uh, two breakaways, that Kitchen's goal, and um, and once again, it's up in my mind who scored the second one. Um, but both of those, they were in alone on the keeper. I know he got a hand on the second goal, and it just went and deflected into the goal. He's very – he is a lot like both Kronberg and Nielsen, very, very good at uh, coming out and stopping breakaways, and considering the types of goals that get scored against Sporting Kansas City, especially at home on the counter, that's a very good trait to have in a goalkeeper. And he's able to come out and stop a couple of those breakaways. And there was a time in the second half where he did come out and stop um, one of those breakaways. There was a time where he got a hand on the ball that ended up hitting the post. Um, so he, 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 I thought he played well. Um, I'm not going to say fantastic just because um, there's, I think there were a couple of mistakes that he made. Um, none of them led to goals, but they were on uh, crosses and everything. But he, he played well. He's still playing very well in my eyes. Yeah, he, um, and he continues to impress. He, uh, 
I guess one of the things that, I mean, you see a keeper give up three goals in seven minutes, I think was the total. And it's one of these cases where it's not that he had a bad game or he, you know, he screwed up a bunch. Maybe he could have saved him. Maybe if he was two years older with more experience, he would have gotten six inches farther out to deflect it that much more. You know, that's just reading the game and stuff like that. But I think he did pretty well at it. Uh, But I think what I was happy with is that after those three goals were over, he didn't allow any more. Right. A lot of keepers could have gotten down on themselves at that point. I was actually a little bit worried because after that third goal, he looked really dejected there for a couple minutes. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but he looked pretty down, pretty down hard on himself. Uh, but then, you know, another save later, you know, or, or just being involved in a play later, and he seemed to pull out of it. So that's a good sign for that young keeper. Definitely. And I think you got to remember, um, considering right now he's only playing because Kron, or because Kronberg and Grinbaum are hurt, right now this can be his audition for um, either next year or the year after. Now, obviously, he's the keeper of the future. He's the guy that's what he's been grooming for the past uh, three, four years. But maybe if um, one of the keepers gets taken in the draft, um, or in the expansion draft, then the other one, either Kronberg or Grubon, becomes Ken back. Maybe he's kind of shown off to be um, next year's starting keeper. So he's still got a lot to play for. Um, and he, this is the best look that uh, Vermees is going to get at him. He, he's got he, – he's going to get looks when he's in Oklahoma City, but this is the best time to for him to show off his abilities in, in front of – the big crowd, that's the big game yeah, with the senior team. Absolutely. When You know, um, Vermees, Vermees will often take the blame on himself. He'll sometimes blame the, the refs for the for games and stuff like that. This particular game, he did basically call out the defense about how they didn't, they didn't do what they needed to do. Um, but in... Nowhere in this did he say anything bad about Kempen. Did he say, well, he probably could have gotten a little bit more or anything like that. He was completely positive about him at that at that time. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, sorry, you bitch. Oh, I was just saying, I think that's just a, a good sign for how, you know, pleased they are with him. And as you were saying, you know, you never know if keeper's being taken next year um, I don't know what the contract situation is for um, Grunebaum. I mean, they just got him, and so I'm not sure how long he's under contract. Uh, I don't know that Orlando will need a keeper. Uh, Bernie, I haven't really looked at, you know, what their needs will be just yet since, you know, they have players under contract or New York City. But um, it does give that, that cushion for everybody that you know Kimpin could at least be a high-quality backup at this point if you didn't want him starting for another couple of years just because keepers mature so late. But I, to be honest, I would, I would be so willing to throw him under the gun or into the fire um, and watch him grow. The only issue with that is that Sportive is expected to be at the top of the division right now and you don't want to take too many risks with your young keeper and lineups and stuff like that to, you know, 
if they finish second in the division, that's okay. They're kind of expected to finish first, maybe second, I think, by everybody. You just don't want to take too much risk by throwing out that young keeper for a season. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it all depends on how uh, Kronberg and Grunbaum, uh deal with their deal with their respective injuries. I think Kronberg is expected back in the next couple of weeks. Um, can't remember the exact date, but I think he'll be ready. I I, I went and did the math a couple when it was first announced, and I think that this Friday was the last match he was supposed to miss. Now things may have changed since then. Do you, have you heard anything else about uh, his progression with his fourth metacarpal break? No, um, I've really not heard anything on either one of them, on either of the, the senior keepers, the old guys. Um, so I'm not sure of their status. I will try to actually find out a little bit later this week and see if I can pin that down. Because it's, it, to me, those dates for people coming back from injury is very uh, tenuous. Like, uh, you know, he will be healed in six weeks but healed in six weeks, meaning he can practice or healed he can play. Practicing, if you've been out for six weeks not taking shots, you, should, you probably need a good week of practice before you get thrown back into a game. You know what I mean? Definitely. Especially with that kind of injury, you don't want to, um, where, where it's literally a broken bone inside of your hand, um, that's not the kind of injury you just want to go right back to stopping shots with. Um, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how he recovers. Um, I, I know some some players might have a bit of a, and it, this is different for everybody, so this might not even apply to Kronberg, but when you get injured in that hand, there's going to be that little bit of hesitation uh, your 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 natural instincts. You're probably not wanting to get injured again, so you're not sure if you want to take a ball right to the hand again, uh, to that hand again. You're just kind of fearing that it'll happen again. So, it, and like I said, it's different for everybody, but it'll be interesting to um, see how Cronenberg comes back from that. Yeah, yeah, and because his his injury was basically a uh, uh, equipment injury from the goal set of goal, the goals itself, the the wheels on a movable goal is what actually caught him on the hand when he dove across. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it wasn't a shot that hit him or, uh, you know, punching somebody in the head. He dove across, uh trying to remember the exact scenario, but, like, a ball got deflected, and he had to dive the other way kind of awkwardly, and when he did, he came down on the wheel of one of those movable goals, set of goals that they have a training. Okay. So it was actually the wheel that broke his hand. All right, and then, then you could just probably just disregard what I just said for the last thirty seconds or so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. It's it's valid viewpoint. Um, just yeah, you know, to apply in this particular situation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else about sporting that we did not talk about just yet? Well, um, looking ahead, we've got Houston on Friday, um, and then. This is going to be um, a pretty good matchup for Sporting, I think. Houston has had such a bad defense this year. They have a negative 20 goal differential. Um, that's tied for worse in the league with Montreal. On the road, they're even worse, negative 22. They've got, they've, uh, 
I think that I think when I was looking it up, yeah, they they've given up 45 goals on the year in 24 games. Um, so this is a team that's working to score against. This is a team that um, can come to Sporting Park and Sporting can really um, use their high pressure system well. I think Sporting can kind of use this Houston game, uh, barring Houston being Houston to us like they normally are, um, I think Sporting can use this game to kind of get over D.C. and get some momentum going into the last couple months of the season. Um, because Houston's always appealed to us, but this isn't the Houston of the past few years. This is a Houston team that is very undyneable. Um, and they, they are not a tough defensive team like they have, and they're not a team that's really built to beat Sporting this year. This is a team that Sporting can really play well against and get some points, get back into that um, Eastern Conference and Supporter Shield race and get some momentum going into the uh, uh, the final eight, eight games of the season. Yeah, it would be a pleasurable, perfect springboard to uh, trounce Houston here at home and use that to move on. (laughs) um, Just it would have that pleasure of beating up on somebody who's been the nemesis over a couple years, but we will have to see if that happens. I mean, we need to see how they're going to rebound from this loss. It's, It's one of those losses I think could actually go either way. It could be a um, you know, that butt whooping that fires everybody up and makes sure they get back on the same page, or it could be that butt whooping that makes everybody go, hey, it was your fault, and slowly cracks things apart. Hopefully that won't happen. I don't see Bermuda letting it happen. And I would say if if we see a wholesale change in the lineup, then he is sending a big message, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and the next three games, all the next four games, are all very winnable for Sporting. They've got Houston at home on a Friday, um, and then next the next Wednesday is that yeah that's Wednesday. Um, they are at New England, which New England is tough at home, but they are not as strong as they were at the beginning of the season. Now they'll have Jermaine Jones. I'm not sure if he'll be right to play by then. Um, officially signed yesterday. Um, I'm sure if we're able to play by next one. Um, that's a very winnable game for Sporting. Um, then they go to New York, who is not as strong as last year. They came into Sporting and tied them 2-2, um, but they're not as strong as last year. That's a winnable game, even if it is on the road. And then um, six days later, they go to Shiva, um, which is, Another winnable game. So four winnable games, four winnable league matches between now and the two uh, champion league matches. That Sporting can really use to build up some points going into the home stretch. Yeah, but it's also very disappointing that they couldn't have got those points at home this last week and use those to keep the, uh, you know, extend the distance a little bit. But now they have to use those hopefully three winnable games, four winnable games, to catch up. I guess. Yeah, definitely. And those three games after Houston are all on the road. So a, a three-game road swing is not very ideal, but Sporting has played really well on the road this year. Um, I, I, I have confidence that in these 
next four games, they can pull out uh, nine to uh, ten points. I, I think that may be a little bit of an overestimate, but just looking at some of these matchups and the current form of all, all, all of these teams, I think Sporting can do very well in this stretch. All right. Um, let's see. Move on a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think we've I think we've hammered sporting enough for the for this one try, this one episode. Mm-hmm. FC Kansas big win over Portland uh, Saturday. We had our uh, Kansas City doubleheader. FCKC playing Portland at noon in the heat on ESPN two. We were both there. You were sitting in the air conditioning. I was out in the heat. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to recap, or you want me to on this one? Yeah, um, I, I can do it. But uh, pretty much, according to Portland coach uh, Coach Riley, um, FC Kansas City basically only won because it was 103 degrees outside, and because they apparently cheated with their IVs. Uh, anyways, we'll get to that later. So. Um, first half, um, zero zero game. Both 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 teams kind of filling each other out. Not too many really good goal opportunities. It seemed like they're really fighting for control of the midfield. Um, so they go into the locker room zero zero at the half. Um, second half, um, FC Kansas City finally goes ahead. Um, I can't remember exactly which minute. Um, it, 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 I mean, it was a it was at least 20, it was fifteen twenty minutes in the second half. Um, but Amy Rodriguez uh, gets a ball from Lauren from sorry Lauren Holiday. She's been married over a year now, and I still call her Lauren Cheney. Lauren Holiday uh, sends the ball to Amy Rodriguez, gets her alone one on one with the keeper. Rodriguez makes a nice move, spots at home for the goal. Um, and then fast forward to the 86th minute, and um, it's Lauren Holiday putting in the second goal um, to put the final nail in the coffin and FC Kansas City after three very different games and we discussed this last week, all the different games with all the different situations regarding injuries and travel and um games against Portland. All three of them were very different. This was another game that was very different considering um how many players are arrested, how many player uh in considering the temperature but FC Kansas City played very well and was able to pull it out, and now they will play Seattle um, Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock Central. Yeah, listening to Riley after the game, he seemed to indicate that, well, Portland pretty much dominated the first half. It was just because of the bad field and the bad crowd and the heat that eventually uh, FC Kansas City won. I don't remember Portland dominating that first half. they had their moments, don't get me wrong, but uh, in the end, Portland had one shot on goal, and FCKC had 10, 11, 12 shots on goal. Um, they rightly seemed to try to deflect everything that went wrong onto uh, the heat, the field, everything else. His team plays on turf. It's newer turf, but only because they just replaced it this last year. Um, it just seems like such a cop-out, you know what I mean? Yeah, and we've discussed at length both of our feelings on Coach Riley, and, um, but it, he, he seems very salty for a guy who has four out of five best players in the world, 
and one of the best home bases in the world, or, or, or in the league, sorry, and barely slips into the playoffs. Yeah, they, they, um, when they, they, they slip in the last minute. <laughs> Uh, when you have a when you have an offense led by Alex Morgan and Christian Sinclair, um, and you can't score goals, and you barely make it into the playoffs, I wonder whose fault that is, Coach. Yeah, and you're, you're, and don't leave out uh, uh, Vero Burkett. She's an amazing player, and. After the game, that's actually how Waco said he basically defended Portland, was he made it about Jen Buskowski versus Vero Boquette, less about yeah. FTKC Casey versus Portland. He wanted Buskowski to shut down Boquette because that's how they generated their offense. And they couldn't find an answer for it. They couldn't make it around. It To me, it actually looked like Portland tried to shut down Tim Rack and isolate Holiday because every time Tim Rack got the ball uh, – and I, and I don't want to make this sound like it's cheap shots or anything like this, but they fouled her and fouled her hard fairly often. There probably mm-hmm. should have been a couple other cards laid out there. One went to one of the players. Uh, actually, I thought Sinclair probably could have got a card on their, one of the fouls before the, the first yellow card was issued. Again, don't want it to sound like sour grapes. It just sound, it seemed like there were some hard tackles. Those did take place off the side of the field from where I was at, so they may have been much more legit than they looked from far away. But they did look like they were a little harder than necessary. But that seemed to be Portland's take on it was try to make make isolate Holiday as the only playmaker, and because they had Matthias on the other side who she'll run all day and she'll play hard, but she's not exactly that playmaker at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I think it speaks a testament of just how good Lauren Holiday is that when she was isolated as the only playmaker. She's able to still be extremely productive. You saw her get the ball to Rodriguez. You saw her split the goal. Um, there's uh, – she played really, really well. So I, I'm thinking if I'm Portland, I would have maybe tried to isolate Tim Rack instead of Holiday. Um, Tim Rack is a very, very good player. But uh, Holiday is just on another level. Um and so she played really well. And he was talking about Buskowski. She's another one who played really well. I think if I had to, if I was going to give an MVP to that match, it either be Buskowski or Holiday. Both of them played really well. And both of them will need to play really well playing against uh, Seattle. And uh, speaking of Holiday, you know, that would, be, that would be your player of the game or one of your two players of the game. She was the player of the match with the U.S couple days before when they uh, played their friendly on Wednesday against Switzerland mm-hmm. and won 4-1. She was the player of the match in that game because of how well she controlled the midfield, uh, how effective she was in generating offense. The, you spoke of the first goal with Rodriguez. Um, I, I would love for anybody who wants to be a forward or wants to be an attacking mid to go back and find that play, that replay, and make sure you get the wide view so you can see how everything developed. But A-Rod was on the right side of the field, uh, drug a defender with her so that she was staying on side. So she was she basically went out, turned back to the middle, had a defender on her right shoulder, cut behind the central defender as Holiday laid the ball out to her. So she basically drug one defender and made her drop behind her, slid behind the other one, and just split through... Uh, 
I mean, basically flip through that whole scene to to get open, and then with uh, Nadine Angerer came out, she was able to round around her and slide that ball home fairly easily. Which, although she said she's missed a couple of those this year, so she's really happy she made it. But it was it was a masterful run by uh, Amy Rodriguez, but it was even more quality that Holiday recognized that run and played it perfectly out to her at the same time. She basically occupied that central defender's attention so that A-Rod could run behind her. I mean, to me, that was just about as good of a setup as two players that are in sync can be. Definitely, and consider that this happened 65 minutes into a um, a game where it was 140 degrees on rising from the turf. Um, the actual temperature is about 95, but that turf makes it so much hotter. Um, it's Rodriguez, and I've said this before, and I still keep saying it. Amy Rodriguez has been such a great addition for FC Kansas City. She's that. Loan. She's that base striker that they, that they that they I think that they wanted from Renee Cuellar and who could have been and who she could have been had um, had she panned out. Rodriguez is who they who they've wanted and that connection from Holiday to Rodriguez is lethal. I think that's the fifth time it's happened this year. Um, I'm I, I'm really excited for um yeah, I'm really excited to watch them in the in the VSL Championship Sunday. Uh, me too. I almost forgot I actually have a sound bite from Coach Ananovsky. Um talked to him a little bit today and I got just a short like one minute sound bite. Think uh, this would be a good time to play it. <laughs> um, and the first question to him was just about whether he was uh rooting for Washington last night over Seattle because Washington would have, if Washington would have won last night, the home game, the the championship game would have been here in Kansas City. So let me, this first time I started playing audio on this podcast, so let's see how that goes. But uh, this is Coach Andrzejewski with, that's the first question that went to him. Uh, I don't know if I was uh, rooting for Washington. Of course, we wanted to play at home uh, in front of our own fans. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, at home we're undefeated, so we, we felt more comfortable. But uh, it is what it is. You know, uh, I think that Seattle uh, deserves to be – it's a team that deserves more than anyone uh, anyone else in this league to to play at home to, uh, for and to be in the final just because of the way they play the whole season. Um any thoughts on uh, all the comments that Coach Riley made after the game the other day? You know, I have no comments. I mean, uh, what can I say? I think that uh, the, our girls were warriors uh, throughout uh, throughout the whole game, and uh, it's not like we played indoor. You know, we were we were outside 150 degrees, and uh, and uh, in fact, you know, this was the first time we we played in a hot weather. You know, the highest we played uh, at home uh, has been 86 degrees, and uh, the highest ever that we played was in Portland, 94 degrees. The game we lost 7-1. That was the highest uh, this uh, this year. This year. So as Coach Anonofsky pointed out, uh, the comments about the heat by Coach Riley was a little bit weird, but uh, the hottest game that actually played this year was in Portland. Um, so it wasn't that Kansas City had the advantage of playing in the heat. We've had that heat wave show up just, just a few days before that game, so it wasn't something that uh, FC Kansas City had time to really adjust to. Uh, Coach Riley's comments after the game about how the 
Actually, let me back up for a second. You, the, he mentioned 150s. Uh, the numbers went all over the place that people were reporting. Uh, I saw the thermometer. The guy was reading the temperature on the field at the beginning of the game, just as the game started, and it was ranging from uh, low 140s to low 150s. So that was at the start of the game, and that that it was on turf, and that black pellets in the turf build up heat and retain that heat. He pointed at the track that circles the uh, field there at UMKC, and it was only 132. So I stood mm-hmm. on the track myself when I was doing photos. Now, at the end of the game, there's a picture that went out by that same uh, field manager there at UMKC that showed it at 159 point something. So it was the turf was hot. Yeah, both teams had to play on it. Nobody had an advantage of having been acclimatized to 160-degree turf fields. But Riley basically said that these games should not be played in a stadium as poor as where the SEC City was playing in. Uh, they should only be played in front of large crowds. And considering that Portland is the only team that drew 8,000 people this year, he's pretty much saying that all the games should have been played in Portland. Yeah. Um, that's not how it works, Coach. Teams yeah. get the place they get in the playoffs by how they do throughout the season. Um, there's some precedent for like leagues or certain colleges, college conferences that will do that, but that's usually at the lower levels, where you know the bigger team, the bigger team always gets the home game in those playoffs, which is stupid, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. The better team, you, the team that plays for it, and in the long run, isn't this league about growing the game is it this league about having a place for these women to play if you're going to if you're going to disrespect Kansas City and say that they shouldn't be able to host a game what is that telling the fans here the, to not show up i mean you need a team here in Kansas City to play against you need a team in Boston to play against you need a team in New York to play against you can't just have Seattle and Portland be the only two teams or throw in Houston, because those are Portland and Houston are the two teams that are affiliated with MLS teams. You can't just have that. Right. You got to have the smaller stadiums while this league grows. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I will, I will say, Kansas City fans, I'm disappointed that there weren't more than three thousand of you out there. But on the flip side of it, it was one of the first weekends of full uh, youth tournament, youth play out there. I mean, there's only been a couple weeks before this. So youth teams are in full swing. It was 95 degrees heat, and there was a sporting game the same day. Throw all that together, it's hard to get kids out of their soccer games. Um, it, it just made it very difficult to have a large crowd there. But with that crowd was not a bad crowd for all those factors considered. I'm probably rambling now too much about him. So, any comments, Ben? Um, no, I I just keep thinking about it. I, I'm thinking you're you, you're right. You need places like Kansas City. You need places like Boston to be able to grow this league because you don't want if this league is going to last. And next year is going to be a huge test for them with the World Cup. If you if you want games like this last, you have to grow the game. You have to be patient. NWSL cannot step in year one, year two, and beyond MLS's level in year 20. It's just not feasible. Now, I think that having that 
base already there with MLS. Now, and you having a couple teams owned by MLS teams, you can you you can have a bit of a head start. But it, it, there's just not as much. And the harsh truth is that that women's leagues just aren't as popular. But they can still be there. They can still um, be a good. They can still be a solid league that can garner, that can grow, that can garner a lot of attendance. And with the um, with the popularity that the women's national team has in the United States, there is potential for this market. Um, but you can't go in year one, year two of the NWSL expect to be um, expect to be on this huge level. You need to have the game to grow, and that means playing games at UMKC where you have three thousand people for a playoff game. Um, and I'm sure that I'm sure they could fit on, on a good night. They could fit. Right, what what's the uh, biggest attendance they could fit in in that stadium? Um. Uh, I forget the total number, but uh, four thousand something, I think. Mm-hmm. At UMKC, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think it's in the four thousand something range, but it's—I mean, it's not huge. It's it, there's there was a fair amount of people there that on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. I, I I'm just thinking that if the game's played at seven, not conflicting with the sporting game, and not during. Um, youth tournament weekend, then maybe they, um, so, but th- this league needs time to grow, and considering the options that teams like Kansas City and Boston and Washington have right now, it, this is the way it's going to be for the next few years, um, because looking at the viable alternatives for a stadium, you don't want Kansas City, even if it does have bigger capacity, you don't want Kansas, FC Kansas City playing at uh, Shawnee Mission District Field um, where you can fit in 7,000, but it's football line. Bleachers are only really on one side. It's hard to get to if you live in Missouri, um, it, it, especially on the other side of the city. It kind it, it, it isolates a potential part of the fan base. Now, you know, KC isolates part of the fan base too, but that's self-isolation. We won't get into that. Uh, we've had that discussion before. Um, <laughs> um, but, this league needs time to grow, and there really aren't viable alternatives right now. Now, I think as the game continues to get more popular, you might be able to put up an 8,000 specific stadium somewhere. And that places like Seattle, who's got Starfire and Memorial Stadium, uh, that's already starting to happen. Um, and but I, I think there will come a time where this league can really stand and have the kind of popularity that Riley's expecting now, but he can't expect it yet. I think one of the, I mean, there's so many things about what he said that disappointed me in him. I mean, I thought he was a good coach, but that doesn't mean he can't be a jerk once in a while or, you know, speak out of turn. But he coached in the previous league. He coached Philadelphia, which actually had quite a few of the same players that FC Kansas City has now on that team. Uh, they they specifically went after a lot of players that played on that team because they were good, and they went to the finals a couple times. Um, but what disappoints me is the team that he coached for before in Philadelphia played on a field which was pretty much the equivalent of UMKC. Mm-hmm. It was at a college. It was a turf field. Uh, it was no better than what we're playing on here. So it just... 
comes across as so disingenuous. It just came across so much as sour apples, sour grapes. Um, just being bitter that he lost. And I think it just comes down to the fact that a second-year pro coach outcoached him, and he was unhappy about it. Now, we haven't even touched on the claims that FC Kansas City cheated by having a medical doctor treat their players at halftime with an IV. There's been a couple blogs out there that have been very critical of it and basically have done all but accuse FC Kansas City of cheating, or at least have not having played fair. But that's something that their doctor prescribed for them. Their doctor actually, from my understanding, suggested they shouldn't even be playing the game. But the league said, go ahead. Yeah. So he did what he thought he should do to treat his players at halftime. It wasn't a unfair as they couldn't do it. If they'd have requested to do it, it they would have been provided the, the medical people to do the same exact thing. They did not do it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think people are kind of settling down now and realizing what went on uh, because Basically, what happened was there was allegations, and they haven't been officially confirmed yet. But um, there, they, there was um, allegations that FC Kansas City used um, intravenous um, injections of fluids at halftime, which means basically the fluids bypass the digestive system, go straight into the bloodstream, and are and so players are going to rejuvenate faster. Um, and there's a rule by the U.S. anti-doping agency that says you can't have more than, like, 3.4 milliliters um, through intravenous solutions. Well, the thing is, um, based on my understanding, NWSL doesn't necessarily follow that because the U.S. anti-doping agency is not um, a government agency. It's a, it's a uh, nonprofit. Um, so it does set some limits but it's not necessarily um, ruled by um, NWSL or FIFA or U.S. soccer. Um, and the league came out and said that they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, not, the, the league basically deferred it to the team, but th- they weren't going to pursue it, um, basically, which me, says to me that the league really had no problem with it. Now, it's not bringing up some discussion of oh, what can happen, but... Basically, it looked like FC Kinsey's doctors were better prepared than Thorne's doctors, and it paid off. Now, I definitely agree with FC Kinsey's doctors saying that the game should have been played. There, there, need, there, there needs to be a line between wanting to be on national TV with ESPN2 and players' safety. Um, now, it looks like everybody came out of that game fine, but dehydration, heat exhaustion can have a, re- a real detrimental effect um, that takes a while to recover. So we'll see the difference in the shapes of the team going into Sunday. You have Eskin City coming off that game um, during midday on Saturday when it was 159 degrees on the pitch. And then you've got Seattle, um, who played in uh, low 70s weather. I can't remember. I, I didn't. I, I don't think there was anybody tweeting about how how hot it was on, on the actual pitch, but they're play, playing on low 80s, high 70s at home at night. So I, I, I wonder how how long it'll take um, 
the Blues to recover from this game to get ready and to play uh, the Seattle team. Um, I know today most of the, the starters didn't really do a whole lot. They just did. They continued their rejuvenation from the from the weekend. Uh, they don't really need to practice at this point too much before the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, keep the touch up and stuff like that. But they, so I'm pretty sure they're working through those issues as far as that. The uh, let's see, to back up a little bit. My understanding after talking to one of the players today was the number that there was a number out there that said six or seven players took IVs, I was told it was only four. Yeah. So not that that makes it, if it's illegal, that doesn't make it legal. And it wasn't unfair to begin with, but it just makes it less of an effect than what people originally thought it was. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't reveal exactly who. I know a couple who didn't, but I don't know who did. But it, it even if it did, they they have... They were trying to give IVs to a few players in the 15 minutes that they were in the locker room and that they could then take it out and et cetera. So there's only a very limited amount of time they could have gotten any fluids into them. The the amount they could have gotten in at that time was fairly minimal. And the game-winning goal was, you know, 25, 30 minutes into the second half. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually, it was about 20 to 25 minutes. Um, so whether or not it made an effect or not, I don't know. But if it did, good on their doctor for having prescribed it. Yeah, definitely. It kind of reminds me of a couple of years ago when Houston was here. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say a couple of years ago, last year. And the uh, sporting had bought heaters to set out by their bench. So the players that were you know, on the bench, had some heat. And Houston said, well, where's ours? And they said, they're at the store. Go get them. <laughs> there was nothing preventing them from having done so. Yeah. But there was no reason that they had to go and bend over backwards to help the opponent. And some right. Houston fans <laughs> called foul on that when that happened. <laughs> well, anyways... The temperature for the Seattle game um, for the NWSL championship will be much better uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, it's long range forecast put it in the uh, put it in the low 80s, high 70s. So it's going to be nice weather for championship game. That's going to be at two central. Um, and just kind of looking ahead to that game, uh, FC Cincinnati is decently against Seattle. They had that one one draw here. That's the first. That's the uh, only time I've gotten to see them in person. Um, they did have a lot. They did have um, a, a, another draw with them earlier in the season, plus a loss. So, Kansas has not beaten Seattle, but they played well against the Rain. Now, the um, the two here they tied. The one there they lost three two, and that one, if I am remembering correctly, they had um, Nia Williams was one of the outside backs, mm-hmm. and she eventually retired to be a teacher since that time. Uh, she was a good backup outside back, but against, you know, the likes of Sydney LaRue, she was not up to that level at this point. She she maybe would have been if she stuck around for another year or two, but she wasn't. And also, FCKC was experimenting with more of a 4-4-2 instead of their normal 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I believe that was one of the games they played that 4-4-2 with uh, A-Rod and Liz Bogus up top because they didn't have a Sarah Hagen yet or a, a Katrina Gorey. So seems quite different from what it was at that point. And it's it's a it's a better team now than it was at that point. And yeah. at that point, there were so many injuries. They only had uh, four subs with them, and they used two of them. Because Erica Timrak didn't even start the game because she was coming back from injuries. So she only played uh, 30 minutes, 33 minutes. You can imagine... Timrak in the game being making a big difference. Uh, Coleman at outside back would have made a big difference. Or Lapel that they have now as an option that they didn't have then. They're a much different team than they were then. I think that this is actually a good matchup. Not saying that FC Kansas City will win. I think they stand a pretty decent chance of it. But it's they. It is the two best teams at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily the mar- marquee value that Portland and Seattle would have brought that I'm sure the league wanted. But, um, yeah, this is the, definitely the two best teams. And it's going to be a really, really good game. And I, I'm going to test my theory uh, this Sunday to see if um, Kansas City and Seattle really have made this deal with the devil, where Seattle gets um, – Heartbreaking, heartbreaking regular season wins in stoppage time, but Kansas City gets the Cup final. So if Kansas City wins um, Saturday on Sunday, rather, um, that I think that'll prove my theory correct. <laughs> uh, I think that theory is actually true. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else before we wrap up? I think we actually went a little bit over time. Imagine that. Without Mike, we actually went over time. Yeah, he had some uh, issues that he had to resolve before he could, and he so he couldn't get on. The um, yeah. but we've covered pretty much all that was on our agenda for tonight and a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I'm not much. Just good weekend of talks coming up. Sporting Kansas City and Houston on Friday. That's Kansas City goes for the NWSL Championship Sunday afternoon. And for the record, my daughter's team won that morning. FCKC won that, that at noon. Sporting failed to live up for the trifecta. Ah, uh, almost won the trouble. Yep. All right, uh, this is Fab, and we'll tune in for the next episode. Gather all the friends all around the zoom That's not about a thing to do Let's